how it lights my path, how it guides my way. We're reading two sections from Matthew chapter 6. The first section is just uh, a couple of verses on their own, verses 7 and 8. And then the second section from the same chapter, Matthew chapter 20, chapter 6, starts at verse 25 and goes down to the end of the chapter. So I'm reading first of all Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And in praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Then verse 25 down to the end. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to the span of his life? And why are you anxious anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Debbie, would you like to come forward and I'll pray for you before you... Speak to us about the word. Father God, we thank you for Debbie, for everything that you've placed in her heart to say about this passage today. We thank you that you give us your word and you give us um, people of wisdom to interpret it for us. Um, Father, we do thank you that you've placed those words in, in Debbie today. and We pray that you will open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. So, we're thinking this morning about Father's provision. And this title comes kind of at the beginning of a little mini-series that we're going to do. We're taking this opportunity over the month of August to think about the Father's heart, the Father heart of God. What does it mean that 
God is our Father, and we're going to explore it through these different weeks and different aspects of the Father's heart towards his people. Today, we're thinking about provision, probably quite an important one as we are in the season that we're in (laughs) these days. Um, There is a cost of living crisis that many of us are feeling, the pull of. There are all kinds of needs and things that we could feel anxious about. We don't know if we're going to have what we need for life. So we need this message, don't we, this morning, the message of the words of Jesus as he has spoken them to us. We need to learn how to live in the flow of those things because our Father in heaven is a God of provision. And these verses make that really clear. But we were thinking about this idea of the Father heart of God. And I wonder, just at the beginning, if I can ask us, I wonder how many of us feel that we really know our God as Father. How many of us know our God as Father? There were some hands there, look. (laughs) That was good. So that's a good thing, that the Lord has already been opening up that heart to us and giving us that revelation. I was thinking about those verses in John chapter 14. Do you remember? It's um, the last supper of Jesus with his disciples and he's sitting around and he's talking and sharing with them. And in part of that flow that we get, we get this lovely flow of teaching um, through John's gospel um, that speaks of us of what Jesus was sharing with his disciples in that time. But there's this bit in the middle where one of the disciples pops up, it's Philip, and he says... Lord, show us the Father. Do you remember that bit? Show us the Father and it will be enough for us, he says. And Jesus' response to him, you can almost hear there's just that little kind of wince of pain, (laughs) I think, in the Lord Jesus. He knew his disciples' hearts, so I'm sure he wasn't that surprised when Philip said that. But what he replies with is, oh, Philip, have you all been with me so long and you don't realize that the Father is what I have been showing you all this time? This is what I have been seeking to reveal to you. This is the very message of my life alongside you all these years, these years of ministry that we've had together, these years of traveling around and preaching the gospel in the different towns and cities and villages, of doing all those incredible miracles, um, of of all the signs and wonders that Jesus was releasing, all of it Jesus was trying to explain to them. This was all about revealing the Father's heart for you. And my life lived in the flow of that father-son relationship being opened up to you so that you can know it too. You can kind of hear Jesus. Oh, I wish you'd realized this by now. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, you know, we can be um, on our journey of faith perhaps for many, many years. Maybe we've walked with the Lord for a long time and, and we feel we know the Father We feel we understand him to a point, but I just felt that the Lord was wanting to encourage us and prompt us this morning that there may be a deeper revelation that he wants you to get a hold of. There may be some aspects of Father God 
that as yet you've not fully received from him. You've not quite got it. You've missed a little bit of it, perhaps, like Philip obviously had and those other disciples at that time. We need to know the Father because if we're going to be a congregation, and we do talk like this in Ichthus Forest Hill and around Ichthus, don't we? We talk about being the family of God together. If we genuinely want to express that, if we genuinely want to know what that means and all the good that it means, then we will need a deeper revelation and a broader, perhaps, revelation of our Father in heaven. We'll need to understand that because we're different, aren't we? (laughs) As we look around in this room, we're all different, different types of people from different places, different experiences, different backgrounds, different perspectives, different things that we've faced, challenges in our lives. And yet, it seems to me that God's heart for us is that we understand what it means to be family together. And if we will ever hope to achieve that, we need more of the Father's heart. There's a beautiful book Um, that um, lots of people were reading when I was a child and a teenager called I Dared to Call Him Father. Remember that book? I can't remember the name. Bill Key... Thank you. Bill Kishake, that's it, isn't it? Um, Who wrote it. And it's just a beautiful testimony of um, a Muslim woman who came to know Jesus and learnt what it means to call God Father. Because... You may have heard it said before, but in Islam, for example, there are 99 different names for God, at least. But not one of those is Father. Father is a uniquely Christian revelation of who God is. There may be other religions and faiths that talk generally about a kind of Father of creation and express it in that way. But Jesus shows us uniquely a very familial picture of Father when he says, Abba. You can call him Abba. And all of a sudden, it's not just great Father of creation, some distant big person up there. All of a sudden, it's, it's Dad. <laughs> it's become very down to earth. It's become very real for our human experience. That is uniquely Christian, that we can come to the God who created this universe and who put the stars in the sky and who made those mountains and rivers, the awesomeness of our Father of creation, that we can come to him and say, Abba, Father, Dad. There's a closeness in that intimacy that is unique to the Christian faith and it's only because Jesus showed us what it means to live in the flow of the Father's love day by day that we've got any concept of our Father God being Father of his children here in this place this morning. So we want to think a little bit about what this Father is really like and as I said today we're looking at the Father's provision and those verses that Bruce read to us are 
powerful words of Jesus, and in many ways they speak for themselves. So I don't want to talk for too long about them, but I just want to draw out a couple of things that Jesus is saying here that I think might help us in our days as we face the kinds of practical needs and provision needs that we have in our lives. The first thing I want to point out is those verses we chose, verses 7 and 8, and then hopping down to 25 to the end of the chapter, those verses are kind of bookended by a little phrase, verse 8 and verse 32 tells us, our Father in heaven knows what we need. Says it twice, once at the beginning of that passage, once towards the end. It's like all that wonderful, rich teaching of Jesus in the middle. It's bookended by this concept, this truth that Jesus wants us to get hold of. If anything is repeated in scripture, it must be worth listening to. Everything is worth listening to, but especially the repeated bits. The Father knows what you need. And that's one thing I want to just say to us this morning. Nobody here is unseen, unnoticed, overlooked in whatever it is that you are feeling you need from Father today. He sees you. He knows. He knows what you need. But also, he knows what you need. We think we know what we need. We're really convinced about it, actually. It might be the source, that thinking we know what we need, might well be the source of a lot of our issues with God, if we're honest, that we have some. When we get a bit angry with him, or a bit resentful that other people seem to be having the things they need and we don't have what we need or the answers to our prayers don't seem forthcoming or things don't break through because we think we know what we need. And both of those comments, those bookends, they are in the context of a contrast. Jesus is saying, your father knows what you need Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like those who don't have the Lord. Don't be like those who don't know Father. Because their understanding of prayer and needs and getting answers to prayer is all wrong. (laughs) And he draws a contrast. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, Do not be like them, the Gentiles, the nations without God. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 7, this is what he's saying about them. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose they will be heard for their many words. And we sang that song together, didn't we, at the beginning um, about don't use lots of long words. So the Gentiles think they know what they need, and therefore their prayers are full of repeated phrases about exactly what they think they need. In fact, maybe they go into long detail explaining to God exactly how he should answer this prayer. Has anybody prayed a prayer like that? Lord, here's the problem, and here is exactly to the letter with minute detail 
what you should do about it because I know what I need, right? We do that in our prayers. And in one sense, it's not wrong. We are, are, we're told and taught to be specific with our requests to the Lord. But sometimes I think we're more than specific. We have already worked out everything, not just what we need, but exactly how that need is going to come and be presented to us. And we give a big bunch of words that explaining in detail. That may be a bit of what Jesus is talking about there in verse 7. He may also be talking about all kinds of other things, different ways of praying particular repeated phrases, almost repeated like a superstition, all kinds of things like that. But I think part of it is this telling God in great detail exactly how he should answer our prayers. And Jesus says, don't do that. He knows what you need. He knows. And it might be a little bit different from what you think. So too many words are going to get in the way of my answers. And at the end of those verses, in verse 32, Jesus says, or I'll start in verse 31, don't worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for our clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Another contrast with the way the nations without God are seeking after their answers. They end up trying to make it happen for themselves. They eagerly seek after those things. They try to make it happen. They get on putting their hands in. You know, they've prayed about it, but now I'm going to make it happen because it's got to happen because it's my need and I know what it is, you know? That picture. Don't do that, says Jesus. That is the Gentiles' way. They seek after these things. They determine to get hold of those things that they absolutely need for their lives. Determined. I will take this step and grab it. This step and grab it. And Jesus says, don't do that. And he goes on to talk about seek first the kingdom, which we'll think about in a moment. But I would just want us to be aware of those two contrasts because, you know, I think actually... Those ways that the Gentiles go after their needs are often the problem in our prayer lives. That's why Jesus warns us about it. They are actually the very thing that are stopping us, that is stopping us from receiving Father's provision for those needs. Because if there are too many words and too many explanations, we are not listening to what the Father has to say in response to our needs. We are not listening. And he may want to say something really different about your situation. You see it one way from your earthly perspective. But he may want to tell you his different perspective. But if we're jabbering on, we won't hear his voice. And we need to hear his voice. Father's voice unlocks Father's provision. And on the other side, if we're so busy in life, working so hard to make happen what we think needs to happen to meet all of our needs, if we're getting on and doing it, we won't be able to just wait and receive Father's provision 
into our lives. Two keys to receiving Father's provision. Listen and wait. Listen and wait. There is a time for activity, absolutely. There's a time to go and do the things that the Father has said to us to do. But if we're truly looking for provision from Father, we need to learn how to listen and wait. And if we are people who can do that in our prayer lives, we will find more and more and more blessing being heaped in to our lives. Why? Because the Lord, not just because he wants to reward us for our listening and waiting, although he does, but because the more we listen to him, the more we know what to do with the provision he gives us. It's no good giving billions of pounds to Paula over there if she's just going to buy a private jet and fly off to Bermuda or something, is there? It's, but if she's listening, you might have a billion pounds from Father to, I don't know, feed the hungry, whatever it might be. It's a silly point, but you understand the point. The Lord can give more to us if we're listening and waiting on him for what to do with it. We need to be in that place. I was thinking, it's a personal example, but I share it just to perhaps explain or to, to encourage you that these words are true, <laughs> that Jesus gives us. But for myself, um, Joe and I, when we got married, we decided that we weren't going to have a wedding list for people to give us presents, not because we're super holy, but mostly because we just felt the Lord was speaking to us about it, because we felt that we wanted right at the beginning of our marriage to try to live by faith in different ways. We were both earning little salaries at the time, um, but we wanted to keep making sure we were living by faith, not just expecting um, the provision to come just from our pay packets or from the people around us or whatever. So our little way of saying that to the Lord as we felt he led us was we decided we won't have a wedding list for presents but instead we encouraged people to give and they gave to For Life in Thailand which was really lovely and we just talked to the Lord about the things that we needed to sort of begin our married life and actually we had lots of things that were just given to us without us expressing what we needed at all but there were two things um, and one of them especially, we really didn't have the money to buy at the time, which was a bed. We didn't have a double bed. So we were praying about that. We were just saying, Lord, we don't have a bed to start our married life with. So would you please sort that one out? But we didn't talk to other people about those needs. We also needed a microwave, which was perhaps less of a big thing. But still, we didn't have one, and we probably needed that because neither of us are great cooks, so we needed that. But we were just praying about those two basic, those two things that we felt like, if we've got those things, we're set up, we're ready, we're ready to go. And I just remember, <laughs> I just remember as the week sort of went on and we were coming towards the time of the wedding, you know, I was thinking, you know, we really don't have anything to sleep on. We're going to be sleeping on the floor. And um, I was just, we were talking to the Lord about it. But anyway, in that time, first of all, one person rang us up out of the blue and said, oh, I've got a microwave. Do you want it? And we were like, yay. It's a little thing. But then so amazingly, only about three weeks before our wedding or something, Phil Tate rang me up and he went, we've been doing, I can't do his accent, so I won't try. <laughs> 
I started, but I can't do it. Okay. But <laughs> now I really want to try, but I'm not going to do it. But he's like, we've been doing this big clear out, this big clear out of Southcroft, he said. And for some reason, we found this bed. He's like, it's, in a, it's still in a box. It's never been unpacked, never been used. And we thought, do you need it? Do you want it? And I was like, what are the chances that hanging around at Southcroft was a brand new bed just waiting to be found and discovered? And he handed it over to us. And I know it's a little thing, and it was, it was a big thing for us, but it's a little thing, and it's a personal thing. But I wanted to share it because we stuck with it because it was really tempting. There were lots of people around us in our lives because aren't you all such a generous church? You're beautiful people. Lots of people saying, oh, what do you need? You know, can we get anything? For, please, can we get you a present? And, uh, you know, lots of times I was this close to saying, please, could you get us this? <laughs> can you just get us a bed now? <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't like that. We waited, is my point, We'd listened to the Lord and we waited and Father provided. And, you know, that's still the bed that we have today. So there you go. It's a great bed. But I just really want to encourage you, people of God, if we will listen and wait, Father will provide. He will provide. He will give to us. I just want to think for a couple of minutes before we close our time, just respond to the Lord. But... There are some commands in this passage that Jesus brings, and there are also some questions that he asks. And I just want to draw our attention to those commands and those questions for a minute or two. First of all, there is the command, do not be worried or anxious, or whatever your version says. Do not be worried. Comes up three times in the passage, verse 25, 31, and 34. Don't be worried, says Jesus, about your life, generally. Don't be worried about food and drink and clothing, the basic necessities of life. And don't be worried about tomorrow, perhaps the hardest one, yeah, the future what might happen, what might come. Three things, do not be worried. It's a command from the Lord. And I say that because he's not just saying, oh, you anxious people, you're so irritating, don't be worried. He's not saying it like that. When the Lord gives a command, how many of us know that he will also release the power of his spirit in order for us to live in that command? If we are people submitted to the lordship of Jesus, if we have said truly to him, yes, Lord, you are my Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. If we are living out of that place, when he commands us something, he will resource us to do it. And we can live in it. We can live in it. It may be difficult. It may be contested. It may be a struggle. Worry and anxiety is a huge spiritual force, I believe, in our society at this time. It has risen up and taken over many others that we might have thought were more dangerous. But worry and anxiety preys upon people and locks them up, pulls them out of fellowship, keeps them away from other people, keeps them out of relationship isolates people, locks people up in patterns of destructive thinking. There's all kinds of stuff that worry and anxiety is doing to our society all around the place. But Jesus does say, do not be worried. 
And if we can hear his voice and receive his spirit as he speaks it, I believe that we can be the kinds of people who start to get worry under our feet. And I wonder if some of the other commands he gives in this passage give us a bit of a clue as to how we do it. Because he also commands us, verse 26, look, look at the birds of the air. And then in verse 28, observe how the lilies of the field grow. Look, observe. And then in verse 33, seek, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added. Three commands there, all about what we're looking at. Look, observe, seek. And the first two are looking at the world around us, looking at nature even. Maybe that is an important part, actually, of a life that is free from worry, is that we recognize what God is doing, the beauty of what God has done in his creation. There are beautiful examples in nature around us, and they're good for the soul when we stop and take them in. You know, our God, he spent five days creating this beautiful world that he then made us to live in. It'd be good to appreciate it a little bit more sometimes, wouldn't it? Especially those of us who live in busy, busy London life, where we see a lot of concrete. But if we take a moment, like Jesus says, to stop and look, maybe we feel the anxiety draining out a bit. Maybe that's going to help us. I think it will. But then Jesus goes on and says, but you need to look deeper than just the natural world. That's good. But now seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek the kingdom. What does the kingdom look like? Well, it looks like a lot of things that aren't very material and obvious, not always visible with our physical eyes. The kingdom stuff, the Bible tells us, is righteousness and peace and joy in the power of the Holy Spirit. Seek after those things. Look for them in your life. Don't just look for the practical needs to be met. Look for righteousness. Look for holiness. Look for the beautiful character that Jesus wants to be shaped in us, to be growing and shaped more and more within. Look for that stuff. Put your energies and your efforts into that. Put your energy and your effort into peace being a peacemaker and a peace bringer and living a life of peace as far as you are able to. The Bible's very practical. Paul says, as far as we are able to, live in a place of peace with the people around you. Get things dealt with. Forgive. Ask for forgiveness. Get the relational stuff sorted and set right. Live in peace and joy. Know the fullness and the freedom of his joy. Take time to rejoice in him. Joy comes, you know, when we are full of gratitude. The quickest thing that robs our joy, people who want a happy life, 
often the quickest thing that robs it is our sense of ingratitude and what we don't have and the things that have not worked out, the things that are bad. Whereas those who start to say, thank you, I'm grateful, I'm grateful for this beautiful thing, for this little blessing, for that moment over there. As we do that, joy increases. We become a worshipful people. Seek after those things, says Jesus. Make that your focus, not the needs. Run towards those things and you will find that provision floods in. You will find the answers are coming because Jesus' promise here is that Father provides for the birds and the flowers and the kingdom seekers. He feeds the birds, he clothes the flowers, and he will feed and clothe and resource the kingdom seekers. That is a promise, and it is true. If you will seek his kingdom, he will feed and clothe and provide for you. That is his promise. He's going to release to you the things that you need. Last thing. A few questions that Jesus asks. And I think he asks them to remind us. So that's really just what I want to do as we close, is remind us of these things that I think we know are true, and we know it in our heads it's true. But when the question gets asked again, we have an opportunity to say, do I really believe that, Lord? Do I really believe it? In verse 25, Jesus' question is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's reminding us, isn't he? Get your value system straight. Get your priorities straight. Fancy foods and fancy clothes are nice, but more important that you've got a life and a body to live them with. Let's get our priorities in order. Let's remember what matters, what really matters. Verse 26. Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. Are you not worth much more than they? Are you not worth much more than the birds? Do you believe it? You are. You are worth much more than the birds to Heavenly Father. He knows your needs. He will provide. You're worth it to him. Verse 27 Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Is your worry really necessary? Does it do anything for you? Does it add to your life? Oh, we know in our heads it doesn't. Let's let it into our hearts so that we can start to reject that spirit of worry, cast it out like the demonic presence that it is. And lastly, verse 30. If he clothes the lilies, will he not clothe you? If he so clothes the lilies, 
will he not much more clothe you? And then he says, you of little faith. Well, I want to encourage us this morning as we pray to grow in faith, to ask those questions to ourselves. And if they're revealing actually a lot of unbelief, Lord, I'm not sure I am worth much to you. I'm not really convinced you will meet these needs. I don't really see how you can do the things that I think I need you to do. Perhaps it exposes our unbelief. It did for these people that Jesus was talking to. And as we've asked ourselves those questions, let's just take a few moments to pray together. And then we're going to just have a song of worship together to finish. But let's pray first. Let's just bring before the Lord our needs as we see them. Not with lots of words, just in their simplicity in our hearts. What are we asking for? What do we need? Lord, Heavenly Father, we are just lifting before you in our hearts now the things that we know that we need. We know that you know we need them. So we just want to ask you now, would you speak to us? We want to listen for your voice, for your perspective. What are you saying about these needs right now? Lord, we want to set ourselves to listening so that we hear your heart for these needs and we wait on you because we know you will provide and Lord as we sit and we listen and we wait Lord I just want to come against now that spirit of worry and anxiety that can take us over at times. We resist that in Jesus' name. We want to be a people of faith who seek the kingdom and trust you for the rest. Lord, help us. Lord, we find that hard, but help us. We know your spirit is available. Fill each one now who is saying to you in their heart, Lord, I want to do better at leaving the worry to one side and receiving your grace and your peace and your faith for the future. Help us now, Lord. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, with your presence and your grace. Lord, provide for us through the gift of your Spirit, I pray. And may worry and anxiety be under our feet in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let your living word abide in me so richly as I abide in you. Let your living